You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Hey friends, so glad that you are here listening. I hope that wherever you are, you are not melting. This summer, if you are in the U.S., has been super intense and hot for a lot of us. So I am hoping to find my way back to a pool sometime soon. Um, Just have a few things that I want to share update-wise here at the top. And then we will get into our conversation with today's incredible guest. Um, One thing kind of exciting is one of our therapists at the Gaia Center, Colleen, um, took part of our logo and our tagline and designed adorable little stickers that um, say Grow Within, Heal Together. And if you're in Nashville, you can pick them up at our office for a donation Um, or if you are interested in getting at least five of them, we would be happy to also mail them to you for a donation. Um, the suggested donation is $2 a sticker and the proceeds go to a local abortion fund for access for folks in Tennessee, um, to abortion services. So my goodness, um, yeah, I, I won't even I don't even have the words to get into all the Roe v. Wade stuff. I will just say that another um, merch item in the back of my head that we'll probably work on at some point is uh, therapy is political. And the 95% of my clients and probably the most of the clients throughout our whole practice since that officially came down in late June, um, have been really distressed about it. So I get that it's one of those things where not everyone feels the same way. And if someone sees that donation box in our waiting room, it's possible that they're going to decide that we're not for them. And to me, that's okay. There are There's another therapy practice literally across the hall. And there's plenty of other places um, where the therapist may be more neutral. It's not that we're going to bring it up if you don't want to talk about it, but and we're not going to shame anyone for believing something different, but we're also not taking a neutral stance on something that is a human rights issue. So um, we've had good feedback so far just in a few days since we've had those stickers out, so we're super excited about that. Check them out on our Instagram at the Gaia Center, G-A-I-A. Also, for Nashville folks, we um, are going to be launching some of some new groups and restarting our coming back or coming home to yourself group um, this fall. We are leasing the space next to our current office. So that gives us one more really big room. And I'm so excited about it because 
it's just going to be wide open for groups and movement work. Um, it's amazing. The flooring goes in tomorrow. Walls were painted today. So really excited to have that space and getting more um, more amped up for group work. So that's great. Um, if you want to stay in the loop on what those groups are and you're not on our newsletter yet, it's bit.ly slash Gaia Center News, all lowercase one word. Um, check that out or you can find the link on our website for the newsletter or our groups page. Um, let's see, a couple of other things. Saw Brandy Carlisle this past weekend for probably like the seventh or eighth time. It was amazing. And she brought, I'm guessing just for these two Nashville shows, she got Winona Judd to come out for a couple songs. And, oh, it was, you know, her mom passed away from suicide just two months ago. And so to see that the power of her being able to be in her grief and to use the power of music, of her, the music that she made with her mom and sing that with Brandy, um, as just something that felt really important and healing for her in this moment. It was just an honor to see that. And it's it's wild how um, people really can create artists like Brandy and Winona and all the other people um, uh, on stage, the twins, um, can really create such an intimate experience, even with such a large crowd at the, the amphitheater. So really incredible. If you have not seen Brandy Carlisle live, it is one of the best shows that I I think exists in music today. So highly recommend. Um, one more last bit before we get into introducing our guest. And, and I'm sharing this a little preemptively just because you guys know I can't contain my excitement. If I'm excited about something, it has to be shared. So um, I had an idea this morning while I was working out, you know, it just inspiration comes to us at the strangest times. So I just love, you know, being receptive to whenever it shows up, here it is, that I may actually be launching another podcast, which I know sounds crazy. I know I struggle enough to stay consistent with this one, but I really am working on processes and things like that with our growing team that um, and working on trying to scale back in my clinical work, not completely back, but enough to where I can create space for these kinds of projects that I really love. Um, so it's not a guarantee yet, but I'm really thinking like even right after I finish prepping this episode, I may be getting my little busy bee self working on a trailer for this next podcast, uh, concept. So stay tuned for more info on that. Hopefully <laughs> we'll see. Um, so let's talk about our guest for today because Wow. Um, I know that I always say that, but it's because, you know, the people that I invite on, I just am so inspired by. And I I love to have conversations. Um, it's what I do all the time. And um, hopefully I have some skill with it by this point. So let me tell you about this incredible woman. Shay Rose is a multi-passionate musician, activist, healer, and curator. Her music is influenced by soul, hip-hop, rock, and folk, and speaks to identity, self-acceptance, and transformation. 
She was a recipient of the prestigious Abe Ullman Scholarship from the Songwriters Hall of Fame, has won a Boston Music Award and a CSAC National Performance Activity Award, and was a featured songwriter and performer on two Grammy Award-winning jazz albums. Shea partners with local, national, and international organizations and has worked with over 30 community groups, charitable, and nonprofit organizations in Boston and worldwide. Her collaborations include, include live and in-studio performances, event curation, and workshop facilitation. Shea served as an AmeriCorps state and national program volunteer for three years and is the recipient of the Berklee College of Music Walter W. Harp Liberal Arts Music and Society Award for her demonstration of outstanding achievement in research, civic engagement, and performance relating to music and society. And she is also a, continues to be a professor at Berkeley. Shea also offers holistic healing and empowerment services, including embodied voice coaching. Her work is rooted in an Afrocentric worldview, which values song as a functional tool for engaging in daily life and expression of the full range of our emotional and spiritual experiences. She also integrates yoga philosophy, asana and pranayama, and yogic sound into her healing work. You can find out more about Shay and her offerings at shayrose.com and on Instagram at shayrose. Oh my gosh, if you guys are not impressed by that bio, I don't know what's going on. So, <laughs> but more than just an impressive bio, Shay is just an amazing woman. So enjoy this conversation with Shay Rose. Shay, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me. I am so excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me. I am too. It's been like a nice, hot, wild summer. So this is a moment to slow down and reconnect and, and really talk about this work that I've been so passionate about over the last couple of years. Yes, yes. And we need all the types of healing that we can get right now, you know, individual and collective. Mm. So um, the work that you're doing is, I mean, I, yeah, I just can't wait to learn more about it and to share it with people. I think it's so important and, and so very needed right now. So thank you mm -hmm. for your work and for um, your presence here. And before we jump in, let's kind of start by dropping in together for folks who have listened to other conversations. Um, feel free to, to join us in, in closing the eyes, or if you're somewhere where you can't do that, just you know hold a presence with us in whatever way makes sense for you. So just really starting by feeling the support of the surface underneath you. Letting the breath settle into its natural rhythm. And first of all, just welcoming all that is with you today. Pleasant, neutral, unpleasant. Maybe just noticing if there's anything that's at the surface in terms of thoughts, emotions, sensations, just whatever you're, you're really aware of with you right now.
maybe allowing yourself to connect with a place in the body that feels resourced, grounded, supported in some way. Even if it's a tiny place. And last, since I know that we're going to be talking a lot about the voice today and the voice and the breath, how intimately connected they are, even in silence with the breath right now, just floating this question up, not thinking too hard about it. If nothing comes up, that's okay. But asking the breath, is there anything that you'd like me to know right now? And then just taking a few more moments to really feel that support underneath you, becoming aware of the space around you and the sounds you're hearing. And as you're ready, just gently coming back, blinking the eyes open. Mm. So Shay, I would love to hear anything you're, you want to share with us about what you noticed. Mm. Oh, there were a couple of things that came to mind. Yeah as it relates to the voice, the power of silence. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in that we have a choice in that. We live in uh, a very reactive state at the present moment with all that is going on. Um, and it's not to say that um, having a response or a reaction in real time is not something that's available to us or that it's bad or wrong. Um, but especially for the activists out there, those that are on the front line, that it's okay to be silent, that that's mm. a voice too, to, 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 to rest and to sit in that restoration of silence of your voice, the instrument. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I'm so glad you're saying that because I do think sometimes that that we can get a little monolithic about certain things, certain concepts and words, and we can consciously or subconsciously start to then give them sort of this, you know, negative connotation. And I think, especially for activists, um, you know, the idea of like silence is violence, and and we're looking for, you know. I don't want to, I don't want to spend my dollars at a company who's being silent. Right. And there's, there's validity to that. Absolutely. And to using mm -hmm. our power, our positionality, our voice to, um, to speak for, for what's right. And that doesn't mean that silence is inherently wrong or bad or unhelpful because it absolutely has a role. It has a role, right. To, to, to kind of bring ourselves to stillness, just like what we did and to, to be able to step inward and to actually listen to those, those other voices. So when we talk about voice, we talk about inner voice, the physical voice, the written voice, right? But what are these ways that we can have 
access to um, and not be kind of victim of or at the whim of any voices that are going on around us or inside of us, right? And so, um, you know, and then this obligation to feel like we always need to fill space mm -hmm. <laughs> together in community or in, you know, in company, um, we're not, we're not used to that. It's just like, well, something has to be, have to be talking about something, you know? Right. Um, and I just, I think it's a practice, like everything. I think it's a practice. It's a practice to be fully embodied and expressed in your voice and to be able to step into a situation and speak yeah. on behalf of yourself or some other cause, but it's also a practice to sit in that silence and stillness, which I don't think we do very often comfortably. <laughs> right, right. And there, yeah, there's so much discomfort and all those negative connotations, even at the individual level. This came up somehow in some other conversation earlier today of kind of that fear of like, oh, well, if I go on a date with my my spouse, my long-term partner, like what I, I what if what if we sit in silence and we're that couple who like has nothing to say to each other and then it's we're doomed. Um <laughs> and so recognizing that, like, you know yeah that that actually sometimes even in that one-on-one -on -one setting silence doesn't have to be this like oh we have nothing to say to each other and therefore that's a bad thing and we're disconnected like there's right you know to be able to be comfortable or or, or present in the silence of someone you care for um and they and that cares for you um that's valuable too yeah there's a different kind of listening mm. and being able to make that distinction in oneself between i'm being silenced or I'm choosing to assess the situation and decide how I want to and use my voice, inject my voice, my opinions, my thoughts, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I've I've worked on quite a bit, you know. Mm. It takes yeah. some discernment for sure, especially when you're in a situation and you're like feeling provoked. It's like, should I speak right now? Am I gonna mm. say? <laughs> Sometimes we don't have a choice, right? And I'm not saying, you know, sometimes we're human and it just comes sure. out and yep. it's needed. But, you know, I, I think that seat of wisdom, you know, brings us into a place of empowerment, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I, I heard someone say once, like, touch every tooth in your mouth with the tip of your tongue before, mm. you know, when you're feeling that urge to like, mm. <laughs> like, let me just yeah. take a beat. Okay. And then, you know, if I want to speak, I can speak. Um, so, so already, I mean, there's so much, so many layers, so many, um, perspectives on the voice that I know could be so powerful for us to talk about. And, and maybe first of all, I'm just so curious to know like where your passion for the human voice, uh, started in your life, what brought you into, into working with this at both in, in healing and professionally in creating music and, and just other, the other experiences that we'll get into. Sure. So I look back at it in retrospect because I didn't realize that's what it was, that I, that I was interested in the human voice as a functional tool, as this instrument that we can't really see or touch in all the ways the written voice, all the ways I access voice and all the ways that voice happens. So um, like my earliest, earliest memory was Whitney Houston. I was just like, what is that? Like, how does that happen in a I just, I couldn't understand it. 
and why and how and why her? (laughs) And does everyone can do, can we all do that? Mm. That's the big question. And obviously not in the way that she does it, because that's her body, her lived experience, her bone Uh structure, all of the things that go into a, a voice, a resonant voice. But I was just so struck by that and I couldn't let it go. But I was such a shy kid. So I also didn't use my voice in that way because I, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't like a, a ham. I didn't grow up singing and performing. I was so introverted, but I think I was probably, I don't know, I had to be, I don't know, 10 or 12, but early, early, earliest memory, Whitney Houston. And I chased that feeling. That's, I, I, I just stayed on curious about that. And I was very late to singing, very late to um, finding my written voice, very late to to being able to express and stand up in front of a room and speak. But it was just this feeling of something is locked. And I don't understand why, because I'm seeing another human being where it's flourishing and open. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to understand that. And I'm trying to understand how that makes me feel the way I do, hearing a voice come out. And that could be for any kind of iconic voice, whether yeah. it's like a Maya Angelou or a Cher or mm. <laughs> even mm. more contemporary, you know, Christina Aguilera, just like how, and when it happens, if you're resonating with the person in their voice, it's an exchange that happens. So for example, if I'm working with a client or a student one-on-one, we'll go through some exercises and then we'll kind of do like a reset, you know, kind of like what we did at the beginning of our time mm. today. Okay, let's, let's, you know, root into our sitting bones. Let's take a couple of deep breaths. And now I want you to say hum and mm. something about a hum. There will be just this opening and we'll both know it. <laughs> Mm. Um, and so, yeah, fascinated by the people who can get up there and do it every single day, (laughs) right? the singers I'm I'm speaking of specifically the ones that have inspired me, like Whitney and Jeff Buckley and Nina Simone and Eva Cassidy. And yeah, cause there's something about, like you said, I mean, there's, there's some amount of like, this is that person's unique anatomy and, you know, things that maybe uh, Whitney was born with that. I could not create no matter how much training that I had. So some of it is that, that just, um, anatomical stuff. And then of course there's the training and the work, but then there's the presence, right? And that's what what, like separates someone with just great technical skill to the kind of, uh, performer and the sharer of their gift that just, yeah, leaves us slack jawed. Right. And it's that presence of voice that is available to everyone. Yes. Not the Whitney Houston's of the world, that it can be this functional tool of healing and creativity and full expression and, embo- and embodiment. That's just not for her sure. <laughs> you know, or yes. for any of the, the singers or, or folks whose voices we know and resonate in our, you know, like they're like national treasures, these voices, you know, mm-hmm. in our lived experience. So yeah, it's that presence that I I feel like I want to like help uh, shepherd people into, especially those who are not artists and singers. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Right. Cause it's one thing to be helping an artist to create more of that presence, um, to share it in their art, but just, you know, for people living their lives, using their voice, whether it's like you said, that connecting more deeply to their inner voice, to their written voice, to their spoken voice, that even if it's not in the context of art and it's just living creatively and openly and authentically, um, I'm curious, like, I know this is a big question, but if you, um, and, and it sounds like you have some personal experience with this too. So there's your own story, but if you were to encounter someone, someone were to come to you for coaching saying like, I feel locked up. Like I, I, I have such difficulty expressing myself in, in any sort of form. It's just hard. Like something is locked. Um, where would be some of the places that you might start or some of the things that you would be wanting to understand? Hmm. I came across a quote in my research. I think it was like five months ago. Um, and I can't remember the source, but she said voice is movement. Mm. Meaning that all of these systems in our body, you know, the respiratory system, the nervous system, all of this is what creates voice, you know? And so I start with movement in the body. Yeah. I start with let's move your hips. Let's raise your arms. Let's start with a, a hum, just an H-U-M-M mm. and feeling that vibration in your face, not because it, you're trying to make it sound good, but you're feeling it. You're feeling what your voice feels like in your body. Yeah. Yeah. That mm -hmm. makes so much sense. Yeah. Because if this is something that, you know, not only is utilizing a number of different sort of like anatomical structures. So we have to become sort of more fully embodied to, to step more into that, but also, um, you know, just to create that, that space and opportunity for, um, starting there rather than like, okay, I'm this head dragging around a body now express yourself. Like that's, yeah, I can't imagine that going on. Inhalation of the breath and the pelvic floor opens, the diaphragm mm -hmm. drops, the throat opens, just getting them to tune into those sensations. Um, I start with some just touching this area of your body. I mean, I don't know how many people I know I didn't until I got into this work, just massaging my, my, the front of my throat and feeling my ears, everything that has to do all the structures that have to do with voice. Mm -hmm. helping them to cultivate a connection to that you know so if you hmm, oh like mm -hmm. getting curious about oh I feel that hum in, in my mm -hmm. cheekbones and my nose yeah and so it becomes a curiosity and a journey and not so much about this fascination which we have in our culture about a voice sounding beautiful and mm -hmm. powerful and belting and or however you know we are we think voices are supposed to sound to be beautiful or to be an artist or singer or, or what have you, you know? Yeah. Similar um, to, to body. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Just similar to the body and the aesthetic of, you know, if in our culture, we think like do having a body well means being aesthetically pleasing in your form. Whereas really like, what's it like to be in here and to, to feel at home in there and, you know, there's, you said one thing of when, when I felt like my voice didn't have a home inside my body or out in the world, I felt lost, invisible, unheard. 
And that's just so powerful. Like we have mm-hmm. to become at home here and our voice has to feel a home here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That feeling of uncertainty about what's going to come out of my mouth and how I'm going to say it. I can just remember, you know, heart racing. I would start to sweat. My, my stomach would tense up and I just had no anchor to understand why that was happening in my body, you know? So I, it really was kind of like a peeling back the layers to the root of what's causing me to go into fight or flight. Yeah. When I'm utilizing this instrument that I was born with, you know, the first thing that you, that comes out of, you know, the baby's mouth is, ah, (laughs) that baby's there, that baby's healthy. It's a lot. And so that's the journey. Like you said, it's the inward, it's the stepping into, and that's a big step Mm -hmm. to ask people to explore their naked voice in their body. Yeah. And I imagine that for some of the people that you work with, um, it's because it is a big step and it's a big ask. It, it's not like, all right, so here's our plan. We're going to do this in, you know, one, two hour session, right? Like it's, it's because sometimes depending on what that body is carrying, you know, if there's trauma mm-hmm. stuff and, you know, things that just need to be unlearned or unpacked or moved through that, you know, asking someone to, you know, okay, become fully embodied now, like that can, can be flooding for someone. And so finding those small ways to step into it, you know, become embodied in your pinky or whatever it is that we, we start small because that is such a big thing. It doesn't mean it's going to take your, you know, take years for someone to get there, but, um, but yeah, just acknowledging the, um, the, how big that is. Yeah, I, I I do realize it's a a tall request, even for those who are singers and who are studying. You know, my students as well, who are in you know voice programs. There's still um, the word that comes up really strong for me today. There's a lot of shame uh, around being fully in your voice, or even you know we might go through an exercise, and I said let's turn that hum into an ah. And there's so much shame around just that small transition. Like, I don't, can I do that? You know, am I allowed to feel that expression in my body? Am I allowed to take up space in this way? Uh And so a lot of times it's just trying to understand um, their story and where that shame has come from. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Cause there, I'm just, I feel I'm hearing so many parallels to that and to learning how, you know, to befriend our bodies in general, um, especially for people who feel very alienated from, or just have, you know, swallowed all of the cultural stuff around a self-loathing of our bodies. And, and I have to imagine that there have been times where, you know, someone may have started with the goal of coming into their voice and, you know, if they're working with someone like you, who's really aware of that big picture end up, you know, feeling more at home in their body as a whole and befriending their body, even if that wasn't their intention starting out. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, there's sometimes resistance (laughs) to it time, you know, um, 
like a Oh, I didn't realize I was signing up for for this. I just so, want voice lessons, please. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what the the work is, you know. Um, but I, you know, there, I've I've studied with with some great teachers who teach like they coach, um, they kind of coach you in style, you know, mm. and it's more aesthetic yeah. rather than aesthetic rather than, rather than inward. Mm. But because my experience really had came from slowing down and really deciding to step into fear mm-hmm. and to, to stay curious about my body. I don't know any other way to teach it, you know, but from that lived experience, um, yeah. because that was the way out for me. Yeah. Um, so some people do come, especially my younger students, you know, they're, they're younger. So some of this these concepts are a little Mm -hmm. bit, um, how do I say it? Esoteric. Esoteric, deeper Mm -hmm. than where, and then, so, so so I, I do have some students who come to me and they're like, down dog and sing. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) or, or we're going to lay down in a supine position. Um, and I want you to put your legs up and you're going to sing that awe without contracting your belly. Can you stay soft Mm. in your belly? Can you keep your shoulders soft? And it's so they're like, and they can't process it, you know, yeah. it's process. It's hard for them. And I was there. It's, it's revealing to them how much tension they hold in their body just to sing a note. It's revealing in a way that's like, oh gosh, really? Mm-hmm. I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, and they come back. Some don't, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. I think yeah. all about the timing in life, you know, sure. It's all about being ready. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so you're, we've started getting in a little into sort of the, the, how you blend in yoga with sort of your embodied voice work, um, and, and even humming, which, you know, and yoga might be chanting, but just that sounding and, um, humming is something that I've, I've only scratched the surface on and I, and I know can be incredibly powerful and I want to integrate it more into the work that I do too, uh, on and off the mat. But, but I would love if there's anything that you want to say about, um, humming or, and, or about yoga and how you sort of view those as integral to this kind of work. Mm. Oh God. I mean, so I had a, a vocal injury. Um, mm-hmm. It was about 10 years ago. I had a polyp on my vocal fold and I had to have surgery. Mm-hmm. And I came out of the surgery and I started some speech pathology and I had been in speech path before and it just, it just wasn't clicking. Something, you know, we, and then I had great practitioners and I decided to switch uh, to a different provider and a speech pathologist. And she looked at me and she said, you need yoga. And I was like, okay, but this is speech pathology. Like, tell me how, help me sound good. I, you know, I just came out of this, this surgery and I'm trying to, you know, restore my voice and I want to be able to hit the high notes and belt and do all of those things that I do on stage. Um, But I followed her guidance and what yoga helped me to see is that I was trying so hard. I was trying so hard. Mm-hmm. 
And I was so hard on myself, you know? So the yoga practices of, of getting on the mat, um, the meditation, connecting to breath, um, seeing myself more clearly, yeah. knowing that the wisdom is there and how do I, and that I just need to allow it to be. Yeah. It opened my voice up in ways that out of all the training and coaches and vocal teachers and even the speech path that I was on for a long time, just didn't, it gave me a way to hear and see myself more clearly. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, turning down the volume of comparison to mm -hmm. other amazing artists and not being where they are and wondering why I'm not there, turning down the volume on judgment and really being able to hear, to hear my body and listen and then make choices from there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful to hear. And, and it sounds like this, it allowed you to sort of, well, soften and allow things to, to emerge in a different way. You know, there's just so much that you know, we think about if we're not ach achieving, uh, something we're working toward, we got to push harder and keep pushing and keep pushing. And there is, you know, that's where that balance of like Sukha and Stira comes in, right. Is like, Sometimes there does need to be effort involved, but when all we've known is effort, then we're going to try our way into the ground. Um, so it sounds like the practice really, uh, you know, created that opportunity for softening and allowing in a different way. Mm, and bringing movement into my body, you know, so much, um, you know, a lot of musicians were very proficient on our instruments but then we forget that there's a whole entire system that's connected to the voice or connected to you playing guitar or connected to you, um, you know, playing violin or clarinet or whatever it is. And so just getting that movement in the body to start to feel into energetic blocks that I didn't know was there. My, I mean, my entire system from the pelvic floor up was like, I'm not going anywhere because I have so much control. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to blast through all of this. <laughs> yeah. And so learning about the bandas and like, oh, mm. my, I'm all, I'm already in a root block all the time. I'm always <laughs> holding it. <laughs> always holding. There's another option here, as you're saying, yeah. you know, there's another, there's a balance <laughs> to that sensation. So mm. yoga gave me, gives me still, you know, this opportunity to, to just feel in, in a way that's so prolific and, and juicy and yummy and like, oh, why didn't, why didn't I get to this sooner? But so happy I'm here now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And anything specifically about humming? I mean, I know you've shared a little bit already and how it can help us sort of connect to those small sensations, like in the face and, and develop that, that kind of attunement, but anything um, that you've learned just about what makes that such a powerful practice? It's accessible mm. to me, the accessibility of it, right? Um, something that everyone can do and, and people do naturally. You hum a song in the kitchen, maybe while you're washing dishes or you're cooking dinner, um, the soothing hmm of a mother holding the baby. It's, it's so, um, it feels like just innate place mm -hmm. to start. That's why I like to start with the hum. And similarly to yourself, I just started investigating a hum. I knew about the Bija mantra and yeah. mantras. So that, you know, that was more 
um, kind of in my wheelhouse, but when I was starting to work with folks who were just getting new to yoga or new to voice, the hum was just like, oh, everyone knows how to hum mm-hmm. or what that is. And so um, some of my research, you know, it helps with the circulatory system. It helps, you know, with parasympathetic nervous system. It's accessible. Um, it's soothing. Mm. Um, yeah. So all yeah. of those things that are, are kind of like, right. Yeah. That makes sense. And we needed the research to tell us that though. Right. And we, we almost need, you know, somebody else, like a a teacher sometimes to like remind us that we have the permission to do it because, you know, if we're not at some kind of like Kundalini yoga studio or some place where like, it's so normalized. I mean, even in most like Western yoga classes, uh, you know, if you tell someone to hum other than maybe an ohm at the very beginning or end, they're going to be like, what you want me to get into this pose and, and hum. Um, Mm -hmm. But if we have that permission and we try it out, like um, I have a, a yin teacher online, so we're not all in a room humming together, but humming with our mics off, I guess. Uh, but just like getting to actually experience like, oh, if I get into this posture and then I hum for three, you know, three just long exhales, and then I stay for two or three minutes versus when I don't do the hums. I notice a difference. Like, wow, how cool it might help me to open and deepen more into the full experience of this. So just experimenting with it in that way. And knowing that, you know, it's, it's things like that can be worth jumping over the sort of awkwardness hoop, um, to just have the experience, try it out for yourself, play with it. Right. And I'll add to that, you know, especially in today's world, you know, taking care of yourself feels like another thing to do. Like, oh, now I have to do this and yeah. I have to make sure I prep my dinner. I have to do my yoga class. And so, you know, I also try to invite in exercises and tools that are like, you can do it while you're driving home, you know, yes. turn off the radio or whatever you're listening to and, and, and hump. So your, 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 your health is integrated into your life. Not another thing that you need to check off and do. Yes. I love that. There's, um, a little book, I think it's just called like simple self-care practices or something like that. And, and that's kind of her whole approach. I'll put the link in the show notes, but like, what is the stuff you're already doing and how can Mm -hmm. we, so, you know, you're at the sink washing your hands and you're just saying to yourself, like, as the water goes down the drain, I release and let go, I, I go with the flow. Like, you know, those things we're already doing that we can, you know, have help help those to become nourishing moments so that we're not feeling like we have to add more things to our list. I love that point. Right. And that we're acknowledging that we're doing it and that it's intentional. Yes. And you feel like, good. Like I actually not only did get, I get my steps in, <laughs> Yeah, I washed my hands and I, you know, chanted a few ohms or mantras or, you know, whatever yes. it is. Yeah. Yeah. I did something good for myself. So yeah. this is such a random segue, but I, I just am seeing it on my screen there. One of the first things or lines on one of your pages on your website, I just love so much. And I feel like I want to ask you about every single one of these things. Um, you say, I am a student of Zen Buddhism and African healing dance. I write one poem a day and I love pom-pom dahlias, baby Rottweilers and clothespins. I'm just like, <laughs> tell me everything. I just love this description oh, yeah. of you. Thank you so uh, much. So, so three-dimensional, but yeah, I wonder oh, if there's God. a piece of that. I mean, I definitely want to hear about the African healing dance, but um, if there's any bits of those you want to start with first, feel free. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. So I, I guess I'll start with Rocky. That was um, our family dog, um, oh. a Rottweiler. And he died in 2020, mm. right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and at the time I was the only person available in my family to help nurture this puppy for my mom, um, just my availability and my, my schedule. And it was the first time that I had cared for a puppy and I just learned so much. I mean, there was just, I, there's so many life lessons. I can't even put them together in my mind about having to care for this animal. Um, it's like a true teacher a true in your teacher, life. Patience, um, you know, is it even right that we have animals? I mean, sure. there's just so many yeah. things I yeah. learned from Rocky. I think the biggest one was patience. Uh, I remember I was trying to teach him uh, potty train. You know, uh, is it potty training? That's for babies. I guess it's the well, same. Well, I guess, potty. yeah. What do you, I don't know. <laughs> don't pee and poop in the house. Yes. And he kept <laughs> doing it. And so I just, one morning I woke up and I just cried. I was so, I was like, why is he learning? <laughs> and I was like, because it's not on your schedule all the time. <laughs> Isn't that a hard lesson to learn? Yep. Um, and I actually recently have had a similar um, experience with um, an orchid. So I got this mm -hmm. orchid about two years ago and it was in full bloom. And then all the petals fell off. And I was like watering it. And then a, a couple of the stems rotted. And I was just like, you know, I have all these plants around me. Yeah. I was like, I don't understand this orchid. I guess I'll just water it. I was like, just giving up because it wasn't blooming yeah. and it didn't bloom last year. So that was year one after I had it. And then finally this spring, it started to bloom. Wow. Was, oh my gosh. This is, this is magic. And there's about maybe 10 um, little blossoming, uh, what do you yeah. call buds? Right. Yeah. And, um, the lesson there was like, just because you don't see something blooming, doesn't mean that it's not growing, you know, why, wow. and why does it have to be in full bloom? Like I'm here to be valuable, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, and it's, it, yeah, it's, it's the long game sometimes. Right. And it's wow. the long game. And now the first, bl um, blossoming, uh, I don't even bud is starting to wilt. Right. So there's like the, the first one that I saw that was like, Oh my gosh, it's wilting. And then all around it are the ones that came after and they're still blooming. And I'm like, this is life. This is exactly how it happens. <laughs> and yeah. nature has this way of being able to hold both things very gracefully and beautifully. Like, and I'm so sad. I'm like, the first one is already wilting. <laughs> the life death life cycle right it's, it's exact and that's how we are like we have these moments where we're like you know and then you know we start to come back to the earth and so it was just a reminder of like how long we're here what we're here to do purpose staying patient um everything doesn't have to be shiny all the time yeah worthy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. What? Wow. I'm like really soaking that in. Cause I I'm, I'm plants taking care of plants. Uh, I'm not a nurturer necessarily. I, I feel like I can pretty be pretty nurturing with my clients, but I've, I don't have any mothering energy in me. 
I don't really want to be the sole person responsible for a garden, all that kind of stuff. And, <laughs> and so my tendency can be like, second it's dead. I'm like, get it out of here. It's depressing me. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I need to like build, like, that's a huge growing edge for me is that resilience to be like, yeah, well, you know, what would happen if we gave it more time and more attention and, and patience and whoo, that is tough for some of us, including me. Oh, no, I definitely, I, I wrote that orchid off <laughs> it was in the corner of, uh, this part of our house. And I would just water it every like three weeks or a month, because I also didn't understand the watering cycle and I'm like reading things online. And so then finally the spring, I said, well, let me put it in the kitchen where I have a lot of plants that are flourishing. Yeah. And all of a sudden like the buds started coming. So I've been tracking it on my Instagram and I love and it. highlights of this whole lesson around this orchid. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cool. Soaking that in. Um, yeah. what about your African healing dance? And I know that like, just in general, kind of the Afrocentric worldview is a big part of kind of your healing and your spirituality. Mm. So African healing dance, um, I met a, a beautiful sage and dear friend and mentor about six or seven years ago when I decided to, to stop performing altogether and to really drop into stillness mm. and, and really kind of listen to what my voices were saying and um, guided me to her. And she teaches African healing dance, which includes uh, movements from um, Haitian dance, um, part, Nib Nib I can't even say this, um, Namibia, where she studied, mm -hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, includes um, writing, poetry, and uh, what was the third practice of the African healing dance? Mm -hmm. And voice, and actually mm -hmm. voice. And so she combines all of these modalities together um, to just help you be more fully expressed. The thing that helped me specifically to voice was the movement in, in dance. Mm -hmm. So learning these uh, traditional dances, um, some of them were about um, reclaiming space. Some of them were about migration. Some of them were about planting seeds after you migrate. So learning all of these dances to mm -hmm. help restore that feeling of embodiment in, in, in the body, in the physical body. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I wonder how many people there are who have learned in that lineage kind of scattered around. I'm just like, I want everybody to have that opportunity to study with someone like that. And, and to, you know, now you're one of those people who can share that tradition and just all of the, the power in that. It sounds really, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. The power of, of dance. That was like another thing. Like why I came to it so late, another place that I didn't feel like I had permission to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so out of that experience of African healing dance, there's a proverb that she always used to say, her name is Wyoma. So I want to name her because I love her yeah. and she's still here with us. Um, if you can talk, you can sing. If you can walk, you can dance. Mm. So this idea that these are available to all of us, yeah. dance, voice, and song are available to all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I did a really neat, um, training online would have been more powerful in person, but you know, the beauty of online is that it makes it more accessible for more people in more places. Um, with the Institute for creative mindfulness sometime during maybe last year, 
um, Jamie Marich, and she brought in Dr. Kelly Kirksey, who's, um, I believe, an EMDR therapist, and and which Jamie is, and and she was talking about um, Afrocentric perspectives on bilateral healing, because mm-hmm. I don't know if you know much about EMDR, the kind of trauma therapy modality, but it's like the eye movement EM was like, okay, follow my hand. And we're going to use this bilateral side to side stimulation to, you know, help kind of process, help your brain process this trauma more effectively. Um, but we also can do it through holding little buzzers. We can do it through tapping, self-tapping or tapping on someone else. And so, you know, it's just kind of yet one more example of like, oh, look at, you know, old Francine Shapiro in the 1980s, the white people invented this healing modality, right? Whereas like African drumming, guess what it is? It's bilateral. And that's been used as a healing practice. So we did all kinds of neat things like body drumming and just exploring how, you know, that sort of modality um, can, you know, A has been around for much longer than since the 1980s and EMDR, but, you know, looking at some of those original ways that it's been used, it's just really, really cool. And I was like, I need to do the more of the body drumming. That was neat. Yeah. I think about rocking too and rocking and humming, you know, both of those, those movements. Um, and from the, the Afrocentric world view on voice, I have to, to, to share my teacher, Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Ize, Barnwell, a former uh, member of yes. Sweet Honey Rock. Yeah. So I spent Lover. many, many years with um, with Issei uh, as an assistant to her community sings. And another person who seated, deeply seated the, the understanding that the human voice is a functional tool that we all have access to for birthing rituals, for death rituals, mm-hmm. for celebration, mm-hmm. for ceremony, for invocation. And that it's not this idea like this person has the voice and we are the audience. Yeah. It's the collective voice that there's power in the collective, not the individual. Yeah. And so that really shifted the narrative for me uh, that I learned about voice, which was like the voice, the American idol, uh, that it's my responsibility to be the voice for the star, the performer, the, star, the, the performer. Yeah, and in the African-American tradition of singing the call and response, mm. you know, and that the, that the call and response is a trade and someone else becomes the one who's calling and then others come in and they respond. So yeah, all of these ways that voice is a shared experience. And then just to kind of, you know, give Issei's voice in my head, mm. you know, some, some more voice for myself, um, you know, song in civil rights movement, song in movements of the day in social yeah. movements, um, what song was able to do. Issei would talk about the vision of Selma that, you know, as people were crossing the bridge, you heard the song and the voice before you heard the mm. people and what that felt like. Like you didn't know if it was a million people coming across, <laughs> you know, yeah. or if it was 10,000, but even if it was 10,000 or a thousand, the voices were unified and the message was clear that we are coming, we're unified and we are clear about this change that we want to see. And so learning, you know, that about the voice from both Wyoma and Issei, it just, it it opened up a whole new world. I'm so grateful because they they restored in me um, new purpose and vision around what what my voice could be and what voice can be to others. 
Yeah, that's that's a mic drop right there. Thank you, Issei. Thank you, uh, Wyoming, Wyoming, yeah. Yeah, and Wyoma. and Shay. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah, that's incredible. Um, well, as we start to wrap up, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you feel like is important to name right now? I want to speak to the artists, the aspiring mm. vocalists out there and recording artists, performers. Cool. Um, this notion that you can, what is it that they say? You only get one chance for the break or the big break or the opportunity. Uh, only yeah. It's not, not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness. That would be a lot of pressure. <laughs> you know like you only have one one opportunity to impress mm. i mean yes pre be prepared you know do the best that you can but if that thing doesn't work out whatever it is that it it's not a statement about your value and your worth and who mm. you are as an artist and creator yeah. and that yeah. there are many chances to um reinvent repurpose or step into your the original purpose that you just didn't hear from the beginning. I'm a, I'm a walking testimony of that. Yeah. Um, so all of those like industry one-liners, like just Ugh. even if you don't erase them, question them for yourself. Yeah. I've erased them. I've <laughs> gone <laughs> through the experience. I'm like, that's just not true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. And just questioning, I mean, yeah, critical awareness with everything. Um, but yeah, that idea of like, even if we don't want to throw, throw away, you know, not throwing away our shot. Um, well, who says that's your one shot and who says that if you zig instead of zagging here, like you may end up in another amazing place you never could have imagined for yourself, right? There's no one right path for you. Right. Or that the people or the situation that they change as well and that context changes. Right. And yeah. so I've had many situations where there was a no or just not the right vibe. Yeah. And five years later, I'm now working in a, you know, in collaboration or partnership. So just, yeah. you know, just question some of those things, like, you know, hold them a little more lightly. <laughs> mm, yes. I love that. Love that. Great advice. Wonderful. Well, um, I'll, I'll share your links in the beginning, of course, but tell us where people can find you. And if there's like what you're offering, how people can work with you, if they want to work with you. Hmm. So I work, uh, you know, in my voice in three ways. So always to perform and record music. So I still get hired to do those things mm. uh, as an embodied voice coach. So working with women to help uh, nourish, awaken, um, and restore their authentic voice in mm. creative and fun ways. Um, and then as a community organizer, so sometimes I'll come in and host events. Sometimes I curate events. I work with um supervisors and organizations to to pinpoint programming music programming that would elevate wow. a voice or a cause so those are the ways that i i love to work with people um, my website is shayrose.com and i'm on instagram for now <laughs> i go back and forth me i just, too I, me I think too. we talked about this when yeah. we first met i was and so i'm trying to hold on i'm really trying to hold on to 
my core values and, and, and kind of infuse that into this medium. Yes. It's really challenging, but I know, you know, every once a week or once every, you know, once every month, someone will say, thank you for posting that. And so that will yeah. keep me, but yeah, <laughs> a whole yeah. other conversation. <laughs> right. And, and it really is for me, like, if I can stay in my in my own lane, in my most authentic voice, and it doesn't feel performative and it doesn't feel all these things that end up feeling yucky. If I can do that, even though that's swimming against the stream and that's not how it's designed for us to use it, then I can be there. And if I can't, you know, then that's the decision, right? So I totally, totally hear that. It's like trying to deprogram the reward that they have set up that they want you to to feel like the ding ding yeah. and you oh oh and so Ooh, that's another really number there's another number it's very hardwired in in us so um for now <laughs> yes yes wonderful well shayrose.com i just wow i mean not only do i want to work with you in some way at one at some point but i'm just like uh fangirling over here i'm like i i i hope to to stay in contact and um oh, yes. <laughs> collaborate in some way at some point you're just an amazing person and i'm so grateful that we had this time together so thank you thank you thank you for having me i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it that would mean so much to me For show notes, as well as a transcription of this and previous episodes, head over to www.gaiacenter.co. That's G-A-I-A center.co. You can follow us on Instagram at The Gaia Center and follow me at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. Look for the link on our website where we'll share about groups and events we're offering locally in Nashville, as well as tips and resources from our therapists that we hope will be valuable and relevant wherever you may be listening from. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.